a story that I think is definitely worth talking about is the spike in the members within a union. 2023 became the year of the unions, one of the most dramatic spikes in certifications and applications in recent memory. To talk about this more, a wonderful reporter, the Thais Labour reporter, Zach Vissera, kind enough to join me. Zach, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And let's get into this. What are the simple reasons that this number spiked? Because we see it go up and down the ebb and flow of these applications, but more than double this year from last. There's a few reasons, but I think to start, it's good to set up the numbers. In 2022, we saw 143 applications from unions to unionize new workplaces. This year, as of October 31st, we already had 301. And by the end of the year, we were projected to get up to maybe as high as 361. That is a more than a doubling in the course of the year. And the big reason for this is that the BCNDP government passed legislation that makes it simpler for people to join a union last year. So in some ways, this is expected. But the other reason is more economic. And you can frankly see it as a grocery store, Rob. Life is getting more expensive. Costs are rising everywhere. Mm. And there is a bit of a shortage of workers across various industries. So this has put unions and their members in a much stronger uh, position at the bargaining table. And for many people, it's provided an incentive to unionize their workplace in pursuit of higher wages, better job security, better working conditions, or maybe to st- maybe to avoid um, you know, layoffs or, or tough economic times ahead if we do indeed hit a recession in the coming years. Zach, uh, in your article, you mentioned that in Kamloops, workers at an A&W voted to join the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, making it the first of those fast food locations to join a union in Canada. Do you expect to see, Zach, perhaps more diversity when it comes to these applications for inclusion? I don't expect to see it because we're already seeing it. Ah. Um, A big change that's happened in this year is that we aren't just seeing unionizations in places where we expect them. You you think about some industries that traditionally have very high union concentration, places like telecommunications or a lot of manufacturing work, a lot of forestry work. We're seeing unionization drives now at animation studios in Metro Vancouver. We're seeing them in visual effects studios. We're seeing them in fast food. We're seeing them in Starbucks locations. We're seeing them in places that traditionally had next to zero union representation. And I think that's partially a reflection of the changing nature of workplaces. That's partially a reflection of this new law that makes it relatively simpler to unionize these workplaces. And it's partially a result of unions changing their strategies. They they recognize they cannot stick to the same sort of set of businesses and that there is apparently real interest from workers in some of these other sectors in joining unions and and collectively bargaining with their employers. You talk about the spike, and I think it's really great to get into that number because you talked about the fact that it could end up being around, what, 360 by year's end. Mm -hmm. Heading to, you know, a number of collective bargaining agreements in 2024 and beyond, is this really uh, a come-to-Jesus moment for those who are going to have to start the negotiating process? Because there's now many more eyes looking at what the bar is going to be set at. Uh, The come-to-Jesus moment, I think, actually arrived this past year. You know, because of the way inflation has gone, because of how costs have risen, at the bargaining table, employers, frankly, are are having to pony up a lot more when it comes to these negotiations. The average compensation for big collective agreements in Canada this year, Rob, on a year-by-year basis was 3.7%. It was less than 2% by year. It was less than 2% in 2020. So in the course of just a few years, the average size of a compensation package by year has effectively doubled in these large bargaining units. Um, we saw, for example, on the port workers' strike, or uh, you know, earlier this year, or in the federal service workers' strike, um, we saw workers really demanding really big wage packages from their employers, 
And in some cases, you know, I'm thinking of a few strikes that happened in B.C. over the past couple of years, union members have actually rejected the original agreements that their unions strike with employers because they want more money. The expectation is just higher right now. Now, that could change if interest rates decline and if, you know, things slow down. But the reality is, is that if you signed a collective agreement in 2020, before the pandemic kicked off, maybe, and you've gone through all the things that have happened since and you've fallen behind on your wages year over year, you're going to come to the bargaining table in 2024 and you are going to reasonably expect a very large payment package, right? You're going to look to catch up. So, yeah, employers are going to have to just deal with that reality. And so are unions. They, they have to negotiate really good deals if they want their memberships to approve them. Zach Vissera is a labor reporter with the TIE joining us here on CKNW. Uh, more analytic from your article, we talked about BC unions filing a growing number of complaints which accuse employers mm-hmm. of breaking labor laws. Those numbers went up dramatically as well. Yeah, they, they effectively doubled as well. Now, now, for some clarity, when we're talking about these complaints, we're really talking about unions basically alleging that employers are breaking labor laws. Um, And we saw 122 of those unfair labor practice complaints in 2022. In 2023, as at the end of October, we'd already seen 231, and we're projected to go well above 270 by the end of the year here, Rob. Now, the main cause, it would appear, for the number of of those complaints is these new certification drives, these new drives to unionize new workplaces, you know, experts I spoke with and organizers I spoke with said it's very common for employers to try and dissuade people from unionizing. And in doing so, they sometimes step over the legal boundary. And that's when it gets hashed out at the BC Labor Relations Board and becomes a, a, a legal issue. So this is this is kind of a, you know, in some ways, an unexpected trend that we would see this. But it goes to show that th- these unionizations are not won easily. In many cases, workers are clashing against employers in these fronts. And sometimes that leads to accusations of impropriety or or illegal activity. Feels like the momentum has shifted in Labour's favour. Would that be a fair assessment? I I think it has. Now, it is useful and important, I think, to put this into context. This is not 1976. This is not an age where the majority of private sector workers are unionized and where they have a huge amount of momentum, right? This This is small potatoes in some ways compared to that. But I think if you look at the trend over the past couple of years, it's clear that the labor movement still has a lot of sway in this country, and especially in this province, has a lot of momentum, and they're looking to expand. The, the, the tide certainly has shifted, Rob. Wonderful insight, Zach. Please, let's do this again, and uh, Happy New Year. And to you, too. Well, you know what? This was uh, brought across my desk the other day, and I thought it was a beautiful article um, by a gentleman that talks about the experience of coming to Canada and then the challenges that refugees face once they get here. And I, I just I thought it was so good. Wanted to bring him on. So to Rick Hadhad, founder and CEO of Peace by Chocolate, kind enough to join us here on CKNW. To Rick, how are you today? Hello, Rob. I'm very great. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. And I love when I get an article that's placed at my desk and say it's a must read. And I just want to walk through your journey of coming to Canada and some of the challenges that you faced once you got here. Absolutely. So, uh, Rob, probably a lot of Canadians have, have read about our story, have seen it on the news, or probably they watched our movie Peach by Chocolate or read our book. But my journey is like every other newcomers journey coming here with big dreams or even you know having having the opportunity to come here with absolutely nothing we did not come here empty but we came here with nothing and the chance that kind of opened the doors for us in 2015 as syrian refugees after we lost everything into the syrian war 
have certainly given us a great opportunity to restart our lives. It was the moment of rebirth, we called it. So we landed, my family and I landed in the province of Nova Scotia uh, around Christmas time 2015. And we were really happy. We had a lot of skills. We had a lot of talents, you know, coming to Canada from Syria. Uh, you should know that 99% of Syrian mothers, they want their kids to become doctors. So my mother really wanted me to become a doctor back home in Syria. <laughs> and that's the reason why I really wanted to come to Canada is to continue my medical studies. Now, you know, I, when I came to Canada based on the, uh, the opportunity to restart my studies, my family had a long history of uh, running a, a very successful chocolate empire in the Middle East. But the moment when I landed here, I was really surprised with the obstacles, with the challenges that many newcomers and immigrants have to face when their credentials and their expertise and their experiences, their life journeys are, are set aside. They are not recognized at all. Many universities, they did not recognize I was even in medical school in Damascus. They asked me to do high school again and do an undergraduate degree and then even try to do an MCAT and apply for medical school. That did not actually set me, uh, you know, uh, behind because it was an opportunity for me to push forward. And uh, I was lucky enough to restart the family business with my family. And we were really, uh, you know, supported with our community of Anigonesh, Nova Scotia. Um, however, you know, that inspired me since the first moment I landed here to fight for the rights of newcomers, to really have a place on the table to really have the opportunity to not lose tens of years of their lives just because they were trained somewhere else across the globe. And also because I love Canada so much. You know, Canada is an incredible country that keeps welcoming immigrants from all faiths and walks of life and backgrounds. But we just need to, I think, take it a little bit a step further to support those newcomers and set them up for success because it's unfair to tell the newcomers, our doors are open for you. Come here to build your own Canadian dreams. But then when they start actually living here, they just realize that there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of uh, obstacles. There's a lot of challenges for them to get uh, the, their credentials recognized. You know, whether they are engineers or pharmacists or doctors, it doesn't matter what job field they have been in their country. They don't need the Canadian experience to prove their, uh, their eligibility and their professionality. So actually, that's the, the, the number one thing that I was uh, fighting for when I came here. Tariq Haddad is founder and CEO of Peace by Chocolate, joining us here on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Tariq, it, it's a really interesting conversation because you bring up something in your article, and I think you've just kind of touched on it. But I want to dig a little deeper on, quote, the Canadian experience, because immigrants are still asked to demonstrate their Canadian experience when applying for jobs. But yet they need to get a job to prove that they've got Canadian experience. That's right. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, something that I never understood. And it's very disappointing because we can never, you know, explain it to newcomers because it, it absolutely doesn't make sense. And now, you know, we are the third largest employer. So we have a lot of staff that work within our company. And the number one thing that we tell newcomers, you are welcome the way you are. You are the welcome they, wherever you came from, you're welcome with whatever experience you brought from your homeland. And what we are trying to do with Peace by Chocolate and the newcomers, we are trying to give them a starting place because a lot of businesses actually try still to put barriers between the newcomers and the first job. And as you said, you know, people don't come here with the Canadian experience until they get the first job and they get they can't get the first job and because they don't have the experience. So it's kind of the chicken or the egg, you know, there is no answer to it. 
and we are just trying to prove an example. But as an advocate right now, you know, for, for newcomers, for their rights, for their uh, dreams, for their absolute equality, and, you know, I call it the audacity to have your own Canadian dream. Uh, that's what I call it for many newcomers who I mean. And I really, I really hope throughout that article, the, the, uh, the op-ed that I wrote for the future economy, .ca, that, that people can really kind of uh, know the, the, the experiences that many newcomers, including many family members that I have, they, they, they have to face. You know, I have many in my family members that they, they, they had very diverse backgrounds coming here. Uh, they, they worked overseas. They worked in the Gulf countries or in the Middle East, or they just really wanted to build a life for themselves right here in Nova Scotia. But with the, you know, it's not even a problem here in Nova Scotia as much as it is, you know, in in many major provinces in the country that welcomes the biggest proportions of newcomers. Canada can really build upon the opportunities to uh, integrate these newcomers. And I think it starts with schools. Schools should incorporate multicultural education into their curriculum, teaching children about valuable contributions immigrants make to our society. And that's where you should start. And then you can go beyond that to governments and organizations to tell them, hey, Canada is an incredible country. It's the second largest country in the world. And we are competing with the rest of the world to get the best and the brightest minds. So let's just build policies that really make sense and really make sure that Canada continue to be on the competitive and cutting edge of bringing talent uh, here. Tariq, you tell me 99% of Syrian mothers want their kids to turn out to be doctors. They can heal. <laughs> I feel like you're healing many Syrians who are coming to Canada because you're giving them an opportunity, which I think in, in, in trying times, especially when you've got nothing but the shirt on your back, is kind of a big deal. I want to really quickly squeeze this in because I think it's super important. You're obviously a chocolate bar maker. That's part of the reason it's Peace by Chocolate. The Prime Minister of Canada has handed out your stuff uh, and, and, and changing some opinions around the world. That's right. Yeah. The recently just President Biden on his visit to Canada, to Ottawa, actually, in the spring of this year, which is actually a highlight that we're going to celebrate in 2023, when President Biden got our chocolate bar. And it was just incredible because I know that the U.S. can do more as well to welcome immigrants, especially uh, immigrants and, and all kind of uh, you know newcomers, including refugees. Uh, it's just a message. You know, we are, we are trying to deliver a message of hope. We're trying to deliver a message of determination, perseverance, and celebrating our second chances in life. I know we are coming to an end of, of a, a very challenging year for so many, but I really, I really hope that we in Canada can continue to celebrate our values of peace uh, and, and uh, the values of really giving people second chances that they deserve. Tarek, you lived up to the hype. It's such a pleasure to meet you today, and I, I, I hope we get to share your story much more. Thank you for joining me today. I know it's a little bit later where you are, but uh, let's do this again. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Rob, and it, Happy New Year to you and your right. It is one of those things where we all think we can do it, and then when the calendar gets ready a little bit closer, we say, ah, maybe not this year. But you know what? Record numbers back in 2020 for the Vancouver Polar Bear Swim, more than 7,000 people dipped their toes, their booties, their shoulders, all into English Bay. And uh, to talk about this year's event, Brennan Bastiovansky. Brennan, how are you today? Yeah, good, thanks. Well, let's get into this. Obviously, this is a tradition that dates back more than 100 years. Yeah, this year we're celebrating uh, the 104th uh, Polar Bear Swim. 
uh, started uh, all those years ago by Peter Pantages. We're really excited about it. You think of the COVID years, and I know from working with the Vancouver Sun Run that obviously it took a little while to get that momentum back. Do you feel that on the heels of last year that we'll see bigger numbers this year? Uh, last year was huge. I mean, there were, there were so many. There were just thousands upon thousands of people. Like, this is a beloved event uh, that's been going back for a long time. Uh, so I don't see any difference. Uh, the the weather is going to be clear on uh, New Year's Day, so we're, we're hoping the rain will hold off that day. Uh, so, yeah, I think the conditions will be good for it. I, th- I think so, too. And the fact that it might be dry as well and a little bit warmer than usual, I think it's setting up for what could be a great day. English Bay is an interesting one. I always feel like there's there, there's – there's something more to it that could be done. I know that you've got time with the park board. It, it, was there any plans or is there any plans to maybe elevate that area just a little bit more? I feel like, you know, the Anukshik went up before 2010. There's obviously some restaurants that are now hugging the coastline. Is there one more layer to that that could be on the horizon? Uh, how do you mean? Like they, uh, specifically to the English Bay or to the polar bear swim? Maybe a little bit of both. I, I guess just when I think of the polar bear swim, it automatically draws me to English Bay. And I always think to myself, you know, you bring all these people down. We got all these eyes down there for the fireworks, the polar bear swim, what have you. And I'm just wondering if the city's ever contemplated maybe elevating that one more and maybe doing one more thing out towards Stanley Park. Second well, beach, look, third uh, beach. Yeah, look, English Bay would know. We'll get like ten thousand people down on New Year's Day for this. No, no, not everybody. Not everybody, you know, is brave enough to go in the water, but they're down there supporting uh, the people that uh, that do. Uh, so it is a huge community event. English Bay is really perfect for it because of the size of the beach. It's able to accommodate that size of crowd. Uh, you've also got um, uh, entertainment put on by the park board. So, like, uh, we've got uh, famous drag queens coming down to you know uh, enjoy the crowd and bit of entertainment and stuff like that. And this is the kind of thing that Parkport does. Uh, gets creates the space, gets uh, gets it organized. And we really want to thank the, the Parkport staff for, for doing this. Um, because that's what advocating for park activations is all about. And Parkport's been doing this, you know, it this event's over a hundred years old. It started with ten swimmers and now it's like, you know, gonna approach ten thousand. So, you know, uh, Parkport's done a great job of, of like elevating that uh, that event. And, and you look at this coming year's event, uh, all the things that are going in the right direction for it. This would be a big feather in your cap this year if you could put up a big number. Would that not just be something that you would take personal pride in? Well, we certainly we certainly are expecting big numbers. Uh, we know we have heard that that uh, participants are coming down to show their support for the park board, uh, and we're hearing that people are actually planning on bringing science to show support. Uh, there'll be a large group of like uh, ex commissioners down there. I've also been told. Uh, and so there, it looks like, um, you know, there's two things that people like in Vancouver. People like parks, and they love to protest. And, you know, at <laughs> English Bay, it's going to be a really great, uh, really great day to sit off um, uh, the new year with a really cold dip, wash away the sins from last year, and, you know, come down and show how much uh, you love parks. Has, has, has it, um, Brendan, has it kind of caught you by surprise how many people have come forward in support of you and in support of the park board? I know when the story broke, obviously tensions were high and we had you on the show, on Jazz's show. But now that you've had a couple of weeks to digest it, have you have you taken a step back and, and realized how many people actually have got your back, so to speak? It's been it's been incredible. Like the city has uh, has really come together on saving the park board and really like taking a a new look at like what protections are are there for our green spaces. Like why does it exist? Uh, and everybody's put their politics aside. That's the whole thing. Like 
uh, love in parks in Vancouver is above the political fray. It's something that anybody can get behind. And, uh, and so people really, they are, they're passionate about their parks and recreation. Uh, and they know that that's one of the shining gems about Vancouver is, uh, is the green spaces and the, the, the active lifestyle that you can have here. And uh, the polar bear swim is a prime example of how park board does all that organizing behind the scenes and they create those spaces for the community to come together. And there's, uh, I think people are coming out of the woodwork just to, to show that appreciation and support. So, you know, they, this is uh, one thing that uh, unites people and of why they live in Vancouver. Well, I tell you what, it'll be a, a big event. I thank you for coming on to talk about it today. I'm sorry I didn't have my blueprint ready when it came to what I had planned for English Bay, but I know it's going to be a fantastic January the 1st, and I hope the weather cooperates. Brendan, let's do this again. Yeah, thank you very much. I hope to see you there. You're coming for a swim? <laughs> Listen, I, unfortunately, I wish I could, but I'm actually going to be out of town. <laughs> I, I, excuse, I, but uh, next year. Uh, Brennan, next year, and I've seen you. I know you could you know, put me over your head a couple of times. I promise you this. I'm out of town this year, but next year I will do it. Okay, awesome. One thing that I will say is we all make them. Well, a majority of us make them. New Year's resolutions. But we always prioritize fitness. We always say this is going to be the year I end up being smaller, more fashionable, and it's tough to stick through it for 12 months. So let's talk about this with Anna Reimer. She's a fitness and nutrition coach, kind enough to join me. Anna, good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing? I'm okay, and I am probably the most (laughs) guilty of all to talk to you about this because I have failed at this so many times. But Anna, what is the perfect first step for somebody that wants to make fitness priority one? Well, it's funny you should say that, um, that you're, first of all, I'm going to address the fact that you failed so many times at this because that seems to be the inherent issue is that every year we make these grandiose goals and they're so big because we just want to take on the world and make these massive changes because we're not happy with the way we are living or feeling or, or looking and they're so big that when we don't live up to our own expectations, then we fail yet again. And that, that continuous cycle of failure really plays on the mindset piece of, of the confidence to know you can actually hit goals. But when you make them so darn huge, of course you're going to perpetually fail at them. And that just makes it so much worse, right? So should they call it a new week resolution instead of a new year resolution? Like, are we just trying to win the first week and then reset? Oh. Well, you know what? I I mean, I, I've been through this because I'm coaching people for decades now, and I really feel like we need to break it down. Instead of trying to do like 75 hard, coming out of the gate or starting a whole new regimen and a new diet, I hate that word, um, and a new fitness protocol on the first, how about we make like a short, medium, and a long-term strategic plan for the new year? Like their big goal is I want to lose 30 pounds and I want to be consistent in the gym and I want more energy. You know, something like that. I'm just using very blase basic stuff maybe your medium term goal is for the first quarter i want to lose 10 pounds and at least get to the gym three times a week and for the short term goal maybe something like hey i'm just going to eat whole foods and try to move my body every day and get to the gym twice a week instead of these like i'm going to just change my life and spend four hours a day dedicated to my health and wellness well you're not (laughs) And I want to ask you about seniors. I think that's something that's very important. Uh, You get into your 60s and 70s. You also want to keep active. We always talk uh, fitness and we think six packs and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot Mm -hmm. of seniors out right now that are trying to figure out how they can still stay healthy and how they can still see fit. 
I think that's a great question. And you're right. Uh, their population is increasingly aging. And I think that's an important um, a point to address. And I think really getting some steps in is number one. Um, you know, whether that your goal is 10,000 steps, that's a lot for a senior. Uh, maybe it's 3,000 steps in a day. But having a small goal where you're going to do a couple of little walks. For women, it's really imperative that we do some sort of weight-bearing activity simply because we're at risk for osteoporosis. And, of course, after the age of 35, 40, we're losing muscle mass all the time, which means that in turn we're losing flexibility and mobility which is why as we get into those senior ages, if we haven't been kind of following some sort of activity regimen, we're going to have problems. So even walking a little bit, and there's tons you can do. There are tons of resources on YouTube, just getting up. I've seen people do chair squats, like standing up and down out of a chair 10 times. That sounds crazy. But if you're sedentary, that's a big deal for you. You know, mobility-related exercises, some walking, some movement, some up-down stuff, some functional type of fitness, I think is paramount for us as we enter those golden years. So I want to talk about coaching because I think that, you know, a lot of us try to do it ourselves. Maybe we're a little too embarrassed Mm -hmm. to get in front of other people and put on the sweats and try to lift as much as we can. And then we burn out. You know, it's like sprinting a marathon. You're not going to make it to the end. But a coach can make the difference. Yeah, you know what? It's a really interesting phenomenon since I've been practicing in a more traditional clinical style. Um, in my earlier years of practice, then transitioning to online, thanks to COVID, who facilitated that um, ca- that catalyst to change the way I practice. Um, that's what's really paramount. We're all so busy. We run at a pace in life that I don't even believe is healthy at, in most cases. And you know, we don't have time to manage a household, manage a career, manage a relationship or numerous relationships, and then figure out how to make ourselves move our bodies or create a healthy meal that's going to align with our higher purpose and our goals. So having somebody that's like a little, you know, bird on your shoulder that you can quickly bounce things off of to help you adapt and adjust as you walk through life getting towards those goals, those short, medium, and big goals, is really the game changer as far as what I've seen. Because, you know, handing out diet plans and giving people nutritional advice and exercise protocols, that's great. But on day two, when life happens and they get distracted or something pops up and they get off the rails, how do they get back on? And what's the motivating factor? There's nobody watching. They're just feeling shame and guilt in their own head yet again. But having that person that you can bounce stuff off of and you have to report to daily and that are checking in on you and helping you adjust when things aren't quite right in your regimen or aren't fitting with your lifestyle or, you know, you have a headache or you're constipated or whatever, having that person there in your back pocket, like it's like a pocket practitioner has really made the difference. I can literally tell you that in my practice, I have not had anybody fail um, their wellness journey by doing daily coaching. When I was a dictator sitting on a high horse, handing out meal plans and exercise protocols and seeing people once a month in an office, they were failing left and right because they were left to their own devices on day two and three, which we know as a cyclical pattern in life, you know, we're not going to adhere to something that's strong, which is why people tend to fail at these resolutions. So I think that's a really great um 
great option for people that maybe don't know what to do or just don't have the chutzpah to maybe do it on their own until they've solidified a new lifestyle, if you will, is to find a coach you resonate with and really dig in with that person and lock arms and help them help you get to your wellness goals. And Anna, I just want to say I love your app. It's part of the reason I couldn't find the on switch for the button here. I was just like, this is what you've been able to accomplish here as a trainer is very 2024 and beyond seven day Mm -hmm. trial. All of your exercises are video logged as well. And it looks super easy and, and compatible where not only can you work with them in real time, but if they can't make it to the gym or they can't make it to a session, they just go to your app and they can still stay in the loop. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's very interesting as a mid 40 year old woman who didn't grow up in the age of technology to kind of have to adapt and adjust to the way of the world today. And there's so much out there that makes it so much more user friendly. You know, there are apps like that. Um, I also have developed a new mindset course, which helps people with limiting beliefs and that negative self-talk that we've all been doing, like you said, right at the beginning of the call from failing perpetually. Um, And then we also have things like I personally use a walkie-talkie app to talk to my clients so they can be driving down the road and voice me, hey, I'm stressed out, I want to order a pizza, I'm going home, I've had had a bad day, and I can pop right on and give them alternatives and reset their, reframe their thoughts. So the world is is fast-paced, but we can also coach and help and transform at a similar pace. We just need to find the right tools, and they are out there. Anna, great conversation, and uh, thank you. And I hope that your well, your clients are obviously lucky to have you. But I hope there's more coming your way as well. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk to you about your journey after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a long one. You get a cup of coffee. All right. Okay, uh, thank you. Forty-eight percent of people say their New Year's resolution is going to be improve fitness. I'm Rob Fagan for Jazz. Welcome back. Thirty-eight percent say they want to improve their finances, and uh, yeah, you know what? Make more time for loved ones. In at 25%. Making more time for loved ones, only one in four people? That might be a resolution for me. I, I would like to spend more time with my family and friends. Anyways, Jeremy or Judson back again. Ooh. Did I say that right? Jerry Mayer Judson. Jerry Mayer Judson. I know, triple barrel name. It's easy uh, to mess up. I'm, I'm Rob <laughs> Fay. I got two syllables Rob for two Faye. names. So let's get into this because yeah. one out of 10 say stop smoking. That's okay. because I don't think many people smoke anymore. Yes. And that's it's an easy perennial New Year's resolution to have when you're a smoker for sure. I've had right? it many a time in my life. I've kicked it. Congratulations to me. But uh, yeah, I've had that resolution before. 9% say learn a new skill. Interesting. What skill would you learn in 2024? What skill would I learn in 2024? I would like to learn how to draw. What about you, if you could learn a skill? Ooh, so my wife for Christmas got me a a subscription to Rosetta Stone. Oh, what are you going to learn? I'm going to learn a new language. What language are you going to learn? Filipino. Oh, awesome. So I can tell if the family likes me or not when I go over to the dinners. (laughs) You can listen in on the conversations. Yeah. Because they don't have that on Duolingo. I don't think they have that for free. Tagalog, yeah. Yeah. No, I think it'd be fantastic to Lovely. learn just a oh, new I language. That. I love people that can speak multiple languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about the oh, Leo's in the background showing off? <laughs> travel more. Get a load of this. Travel more. Only five percent. Well, because a lot of us are watching our finances. Twenty. What is it? Twenty-eight percent, thirty-eight percent want to watch out for finances. You can't do that and travel at the same time. Boy, the, the only thing that came in lower than traveling yeah. is only three percent say drink less alcohol. Which means ninety seven percent of like, people no, are like, good. "We're good." Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm fine with my alcohol consumption. I'm good. I'm, I don't crazy. need to work on nothing. And then the other three percent say they want to perform better at work. 
Okay. So there's 97 percent of the <laughs> people like, are like, fine. yeah, interesting. Doing good. No, I understand. It's it's. The, I think that it's an easy one to reach for fitness, right? Most people do. I don't know why we do. Maybe because we eat food that we don't usually eat during the holidays. We feel a little bit extra chunky. Um, you put on that, you know, the Christmas weight. You give yourself permission, and then you feel bad about it, which maybe you shouldn't in the new year to feel like you have to get fitter. I think the one thing that I, if I could like peel the layer of my onion yeah. back, the one thing that I would like to have better for 2024, yeah. more confidence. Aw, get it. I love that resolution. I like that better than I'm just going to do it to look good for other people. No, no, no. Like taking it on and trying to, you know, love yourself and exude that a little bit. Mm. I love it. I'm in support. I, I, the reason I bring up confidence is because I feel like I'm at a real transitional stage of my life. I'm turning 50 in what, three and a half weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow is right. And I think I feel like I'm kind of in the middle of not cool enough to hang with the young kids and not quite wise enough to hang with the elders. So I feel like I'm in this transit. My hair's starting to turn gray. Dad bod is a little more acceptable than it would have been 10, 15 years ago. That's true. I don't know. I just feel like I'm, own I'm hovering in it. Yeah, I, I need to learn how to own, own it. it. Oh my God, we're both have, we both have significant birthdays this year. You're turning 50. In October, I'm turning 30. So I got to try to... I'm going to take this last little bit of my 20s and just try to whoop it up as much as my aging body will physically let me before I have to be a serious person when I turn 30. I know. Do you you feel the pressures of turning like a certain number in particular? I absolutely do. I almost like getting to be the age that my mom was when she would have at this point had like a six month old. I think that's great. Like I'm, I, I'm struggling to keep myself fed, watered and nourished, you know, several times a day. And I'm like, my mom was doing this for a whole infant at this stage in her life. I think that is wild. Yeah, it, it is really interesting. A couple of other numbers here as we, as we bring this back and put a nice big bow on this 20% of respondents say they keep themselves accountable when it comes to sticking to their goals which means four out of five people set the goal, but know they're probably not going to see it through it. to the end. Do you, did you keep your last year's New Year's I've resolution? Never. Never? I, I'm like, I'm O for life. O for life. I actually, I kind of have a perennial one that I try to do a little bit better each year. And that is to be more assertive. That is to be less of a pushover. So yeah. every year I try to be less of a pushover than the year before. And if I assert myself one time during the year, I'm like, that is a big W for Jerry. I've done it. I've done the New Year's resolution. I can't tell you how many gym memberships I've started and then gone in a couple of months later trying to cancel it. You want to talk about the most solid contract on earth? Oh, my God. Try to break a gym membership. Selling your soul to the devil. Except you sell it to Good Life or whatever. Because they're so nice to you when you're sitting down and you're signing up. They're like, oh, are you sure? Come on, you can do it, buddy. Are you sure? Do you want some free training or something? Are you sure you just can't get back on the horse? Like, no, please release me from the biweekly payments. I need to to do other things. I just, I know myself too much. I'm like, I'm moving. They're like, where? I'm like, Calgary. They're like, what's the address? I'm like, I don't know (laughs) yet. We got got branches in Calgary. Don't worry about it. You want to go to Bow Trail? You can do that. We'll make that happen for you. Like, it's crazy. Fun fact. I worked at Fitness World. True story. Okay. In in North Vancouver for like a couple months. Behind the staples, they had a pool and a protein nice. shake bar. Nice. What did you do there? I spent all my money at the protein shake bar. That's how they get you. They just, just forward my paycheck to the protein shake bar. That's, yeah. Don't even bother giving it back to all me. All the healthy people walk past me. I'm just like, <laughs> on the last <laughs> banana that they had. Well, you know, one of the things that I love when I go to blood.ca is they have... Uh, this chart that lets you know by blood type how many days they have left before they are out of that particular type of blood. 
in Van- in Vancouver, there's a couple of locations in British Columbia. There are a number of locations where you can go and donate, and they need your support right now. More than 1,500 blood donations are needed right here in BC before January the 7th. So to talk about this is Gail Voyer, Associate Director for Donor Relations and Collections, kind enough to join me. Gail, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. And I always think to myself, this is a no-brainer. But at the same time, everybody's on the go. Everybody's moving fast. But the need for blood never stops. That's right. Yeah. And as, um, you know, as everybody kind of gets into the holiday mode, I will say that they get out of their regular schedules. And sometimes, you know, with those interruptions and family around, you just you forget to book your blood donation appointment. And so I'm here to ask people to, to book those back in and bring their family with them. When I go to donate blood, what's the process? Walk me through this for a family that's maybe listening and has never done it before. Absolutely. So the key is just booking your appointment at blood.ca. My favorite tool is um, download the Give Blood app or call 1882-DONATE. So getting your appointment booked and then you walk through our doors and our staff will walk you through the process. Um, you need government-issued ID. Um, we want to make sure that you're hydrated. So a couple liters of water the day before and the day of your appointment, making sure you've had something to eat about an hour before. Um, and then the rest um, is kind of in the hands of our uh, clinic teams, and they will help walk you through the process every step of the way. I don't know my blood type, and I'm assuming I don't need to know my blood type when I show up, correct? That's correct. And um, what will happen is you'll get a donor card in the mail after you're, if you're a first-time donor, you'll get that card in the mail, and it'll tell you your blood type um, on that card once you've made your first donation. Gail, did you, uh, coming out of COVID, did you ever get back to full supply? Like, I know that there was a dip when everybody had to wear a mask and stay inside. Were you guys in British Columbia ever able to kind of get back to even Stephen before you had to dip again? You know, we had, um, I, I would say, a really good turnout during COVID. And, you know, I think the reason for that was just we didn't have a lot of competing priorities or places for, that people were able to go, um, you know, in a safe environment, just because we weren't, we weren't, we weren't out and about like we are now. So we, we did have a good um, good turnout at that point. And now that we're kind of back to our new normal, we are seeing a slight dip in, um, in our donations as well. What are the blood types that are in need the most? You know what, the two, um, we need them all, but we, the two that we're calling out for right now is O positive, which is the most common blood type, um, as well as O negative, which is a universal donor that could, um, you know, is a, the type of blood that is used if we don't have time to test their blood in an emergency situation. And the other thing that I sometimes have to talk myself out of is if I go, there's going to be a long lineup or I've got to wait a long time. You have enough donation centers that you can get in and out pretty quickly, right? Exactly. And the key is just if you go to blood.ca or use the app, you just type in your community and it'll give you options as to which donor centers are actually close to you and then what work with your schedule. And that's why I love the app is because um, it has that flexibility to say, you know what, I've all of a sudden got a couple of hours of time and you only need about an hour, um, but I can actually book it in right on the spot or the same day just because we do have those appointments available. I have done it on Oak Street, but it was a number of years ago. So I'm going to roll up my sleeve and make sure I can help out as well. Thank you for the scale. I wish you well, and I know you're going to hit that goal, and thank you for everything that you do. Thank you very much, and thanks to all your listeners. Um, We appreciate their support. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m., on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.
911. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh my God, the ship is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere. We're going down. I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hurry, hurry. Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.